Welcome to Chapter by Chapter. I'm your host, Brian Thomas Krop, and I believe that stories have a tremendous power for good. And so I write them and I enjoy sharing them with you. And I am very excited uh, to get into this chapter of uh, the Pearl Saga Book 2 called Shell Game. Boy, that's a mouthful. If you are new to the podcast, this is sort of a uh, fiction story, audiobookish kind of podcast with a bunch of behind the scenes, how it gets made info on the other side. So what you're about to experience is I will read a chapter from Shell Game, the aforementioned long titled book, and then uh, we'll go into a little bit of how it got written or some Easter eggs that might be hidden in there or other thoughts that went into the formation of this particular chapter chapter, thus the title of the podcast, chapter by chapter. Uh, just to catch you up with what is going on in the story, uh, Shell Game is a detective noir story that is centered around the detective Evan Gold, who is trying to solve a couple of murders because the police think he did it. And so if he's going to keep his neck out of the noose, he's got to find the real killers. Uh, but in the midst of all of this, he has a client who just cannot, for the life of her, tell the truth. Um, he's got a mysterious pearl-like orb that is... Um, making him question if he is actually seeing reality. He's got a failing marriage and a business that's about to fall apart. So basically, life is pretty bad for Dear Evan. And um, right in this chapter, there's been a long series of events where he's just trying to figure out what actually happened? And he tried to do that by getting uh, a character named Harold Huber and his client Claire in the same room. That ended miserably. And so now he's hoping maybe, maybe he can get the straight story from his client. We'll see how it goes. Um, but we're only halfway into the story. So I'm going to guess it doesn't go as well as Evan would like. But how that's the real question. But we will get into all of those bits of the story in Chapter 24 right after we hear from this week's sponsors. This episode is also sponsored by Showdown in the Yukon, the first book in the Pearl Saga. It is a story of Monterey Jack Danvers, who is a reformed pickpocket who is hired by his old partner in crime to help rescue a uh, stolen gold claim up in the Yukon Territory for a widow. He also finds the widow's daughter quite attractive and that helps him go on this adventure that takes him on uh, stormy seas, through caves, through forest fires and being hunted down um, in forests and all kinds of uh, great adventure. And the big question is, will they be able to uh, rescue this gold mine, uh, this gold claim back from the evil man who uh, took it from this poor widow woman? And then what kind of man does Monterey Jack Danvers turn into by the end of, of the story? It is also the prelude to uh, Shell Game Part 2 of the Pearl Saga. And you can find Showdown in the Yukon 
at amazon.com. You can also find the links uh, to that over at bryanthomascrop.com. Chapter 24. Gold returned from the kitchen a few minutes later with a couple of cold-cut sandwiches and mugs of steaming coffee. Claire examined the meager offering and pushed the plate away from her. Now, Evan sighed as he sat down, reaching for his cup of coffee. The first sip stung his lips, and he winced. I hate when I do that, he said, rubbing his lips together. But what are you going to do? So, this pearl. What is it, and why are people so interested in it? Evan picked up his sandwich and took a generous bite. Claire shifted in her chair and looked at her hands folded in her lap. Then she snapped her head up to Evan. Let's say I didn't tell you. Let's say, for reasons of my own, you understand, that it would be too painful for me to tell you what I know. What would you do in that case? Can't say I'd be surprised, he said as casually as if she'd asked the weather. He swallowed his bite and took another sip of coffee. The thing I'll never get over about being a private eye is that people hire me. They come to me, mind you. I don't go to them. They come to me, just like you did, to find something or someone and then proceed to lie and shield the truth from me. You take my point? That must be frustrating. Evan waved off her comment. It makes things a bit more challenging, he said. But the good news is, I love solving puzzles. I can usually still uncover the truth despite it all. One thing I have learned is that the truth is rather jealous and likes to be noticed. Take this case, for instance. I started with a completely fabricated story by you, a complete misdirect, and in 24 hours, I know a whole lot more than I did. Possibly I know more at this moment than the police, and it's smelling more and more like the truth all the time. Evan paused and took another bite of his sandwich. Give me another day like this one and imagine the things I might know. Hey, I might even know things you don't ever want me to know. He chuckled to himself and chewed his bite, quite pleased with himself. The weight of the moment seemed to press down on Claire's shoulders with double force. I want to tell you. I mean, I trust you, but I don't want to tell you. Fine by me, Evan said. Don't make much difference in any case. It's just the difference between doing things the easy way or the hard way. Either way, justice is served. Claire scoffed. But you don't know what you're up against, Evan. For that matter, neither do I. Not completely, anyway. But I know more than you. I don't know what I'm more frightened of. You finding out, or you getting hurt. Because of me. Don't beat yourself up. I'm a grown man. I know a thing or two and can handle myself. My question for you is, when I find out the things you don't want me to know... When this carefully constructed facade you've got comes crumbling down around your ears, how are you going to feel when some of the debris falls on that pretty head of yours? Or do you think you're made of stronger stuff than that? Believe me, sister, I've lived out here on the plains long enough to know a thing or two what happens when a whirlwind comes to town. It comes and there's nothing you can do about it. It'll turn one house into splinters and leave the house next door without a scratch. The finger of God, they call it. Claire... There's a whirlwind coming for you. I can see the clouds on your horizon. Let me shelter you if I can. They sat in silence for a long time. The only sounds came from the second hand on the fireplace mantel clock and the occasional car rolling along the street below. As I said, Claire said, looking up finally, Evan noticed tears had been running for a while. I haven't lived the best life. I've seen things. I've done things. Things, she stopped suddenly and looked at Evan. Do you ever think back to who you were when you were six or seven? 
Do you ever wonder what they must think of you now? She drifted her gaze away again. Anyway, I've seen enough not to be scared by much. There are only two people in the whole world that scare me. Jason Charles was one, and you are the other one. She stood and walked to the window. Evan smiled and shook his head. You really have perfected your style. It's rare for me to find someone with so much commitment to it. He let out a breath, finished off his coffee, slapped his knees, and walked over to Claire. Now, about this pearl, he said. I don't know much, her voice was almost a whisper, but I know it isn't a pearl. Not like you would think, anyway. It's too big. More like a kid's marble. What makes it so important? Evan asked, resisting the urge to make sure the pearl was still safely stowed in his pocket. He didn't want to give any tells that he knew its immediate location. I don't know. She shrugged her shoulders and shook her head. Evan rubbed the stubble of his cheek with the knuckles of his right hand. I was offered a thousand to steal it. I don't know what they offered Jason, but he said he'd pay me fifteen hundred to keep it and not turn it over. Evan cut her off. Mr. Huber said I'd get paid ten grand. I'm guessing I'm not too off the mark to say the pearl's actual value is a few dimes north of that. Claire laughed at his ignorance. <laughs> yes, it's worth more money than you or I will ever hope to see in several lifetimes. And I'm not stupid. I've played cons like this before. I never assume I'm getting an even split of the take. If there's a job with a payout I like, I take it and don't ask any more questions about it. I'm just the hired help. So from where were you supposed to steal this pearl that's not a pearl? A man named Plum had it. A big shot. Founded the town just before our boys went off to fight in Europe. Everyone's benefactor. Everyone's boss. I was hired to lift it from him. I'm assuming a guy like that has some, uh, let's call them people, around him, Evan said. How are you supposed to pick this gem from Plum? Claire walked back to the fireplace. I... Rather not say. It's not important to the present situation. Fine. This was back in Colorado? Claire nodded. What happened next? Evan couldn't stand it any longer and slid his hands in his pockets. He relaxed a little when his fingers rediscovered the pearl. It was cool to the touch and seemed small and ordinary. Evan tried to recall with his fingers what the size of a kid's marble was. Nothing. Claire complained. Absolutely nothing. I got the pearl just as I was hired to do. However, Jason learned that that greasy snake you invited over here tonight planned to betray us. He was going to take the pearl for himself and double-cross the lot of us. So much for honor among thieves, Evan smirked. That's when Jason made the offer for me not to turn it over. We decided to cadence the double-cross tango and leave Mr. Huber swinging in the wind. But we forgot something fundamental. She wagged a wary finger at Gold. You are never to get emotionally tied up in your work. We did, Jason and I. We got greedy. We said, why shouldn't we get the full payout? Why should we only take hundreds when there might be millions? But in our haste and greed, we forgot about the first man, the one behind everything. It was not long before we discovered we had changed from hunters to prey, hunted like limping gazelles in front of a hungry and desperate lion. But that was not the final nail. No, that came when I realized that dear Mr. Charles had his own designs to double-cross me, too. She laughed at herself in anger. <laughs> I know how to pick them, don't I? So when did you come to Athens? Evan asked. 
I hopped off the train the morning I saw you, she said. Jason and I separated in Colorado the week before. I bribed a railroad man to tell me where he'd gone, and I was on the next train here. I saw your ad in the phone book at the depot, and you know the rest. Evan shook his head. I already told you I don't have an ad in the phone book, but that's not any real concern. I think there are still more important gaps in your story. What makes it worth all the money? Claire laughed bitterly. <laughs> to be honest, I don't know. Then her pleading eyes returned. Oh, you must believe me, Evan. I would tell you if I did. I just knew my life was on the line and I needed to get that pearl back before... Hervis broke off. And that's when you hired me, Evan said. She nodded. To find the pearl. She shook her head. To scare Jason. I needed leverage. Leverage with him. With the people hunting me. With, with whoever. Yeah, he said slowly. But I'm betting you don't know the first thing about who to trade it to for the kind of payout you're looking for. Though I'm sure you'd figure out that part in a hurry. Have you ever seen it? Just the once, she said softly. Evan shook his head and spoke in a tone like a father encouraging his child to turn from foolish habits. You're a liar. I know, she whimpered softly. Tell me, was there any truth in that yarn you spun? Claire looked at him with pleading eyes. That's what I thought. He walked back over to the table and tossed the last bite of the sandwich in his mouth. Let me get another cup of coffee and we'll try again. Claire rushed to him and wrapped her arms around his waist. Oh, Evan, I'm so tired. Do we have to do this now? I could just trust you to find out on your own. I mean, look at you. You're strong and smart, and I'm... I'm... I'm a mess. Oh, hold me, Evan. She pressed her head to his chest. I might be able to make it through the night if you would just hold me. She sobbed quietly into his collar. Evan put his arms around her and rubbed her back soothingly. Then he thought of Catherine. If there was any shot of getting her back, he couldn't let his guard down for a moment. He knew he was walking a tightrope and needed to keep his balance because there was no net if he fell. He took Claire carefully by the shoulders and held her away from him. Whatever you have cooking in that mixed-up head of yours, it's not how I do things. As you said, it does me no good to get emotionally involved with my work. Now, I think you're a nice girl. Mixed up, but nice. But we have a professional relationship. It's clean. It's easy to understand. Let's not confuse things. He walked around her and poured himself another cup of coffee. Let's start back at the beginning. Claire flipped onto the sofa like a discarded tissue. Evan grabbed her uneaten sandwich and sat in the armchair next to her. Over the next several hours, Evan had Claire tell her tale repeatedly. Each time a new adjustment was made, each time Evan learned a hint of something new, eventually sleep took them over just as the fog in the air started to diffuse the coming dawn's light. So I hinted at this last week, but this chapter is just full of Easter eggs and uh, references that probably only made sense to me, but I will let you in on them. Uh, I also mentioned, although I think I've probably mentioned it before, but I have children, and one of them is, likes to dabble in songwriting, and she and I were chatting, I don't know, a couple months ago now, about when she has written a song, and then she sings it back 
she has a hard time listening to it the way I might hear it because she hears all the musical references that she threw in there, either the songs that she's remembering that influence the song or that kind of thing. I'm like, yeah, I know that feeling. When, I, when I'm writing, there's all kinds of different images and references that I throw in um, just to help me get through the chapter. And then that's all I can hear when I read the chapter. I don't I have no idea how you experience it. I only know how I experience it, which is a collage of random things. And this chapter seems to have a bunch of them. One of them, I'll just quickly get out. This, this, uh, the space where this story takes place is in a town uh, called Athens, Kansas, which is built off of my hometown of Emporia, Kansas. And I thought, man, isn't including a tornado in a story about Kansas about the most Kansas thing you could do? At least for all the non-Kansans, it's possibly the most irritating thing for a Kansan. Like, oh, you threw a tornado in there. Thanks. That really helps with the whole state image and self-esteem thing there. Um, but the actual reference of what uh, Evan says to Claire about tornadoes does not come from a Kansan. It comes from a good friend of mine who is arguably either from Alabama or Georgia, depending on what part of his childhood we're referring to. Um, but I can't remember if it was a tornado that was coming through Fort Worth and we went to seminary uh, together here in Fort Worth or what it was, but he was just like, you know, there's really nothing you can do about tornadoes. Either they're going to come for your house or not come from your house. You're like, oh, well, that was his reference. Uh, so he kind of applied that to a lot of other scenarios where you just didn't have control over the outcome. You just sometimes have to look at him and go, oh, well. So um, there's that. Thank you, Jason, for that. Um, but it is also true if you've done any um, study on tornadoes, it's weird what happens uh, that some some houses get flattened and some houses don't, and they can be next door to one another. Tornadoes are strange. They're really, really strange. Um, and I have been through many of them. Yes, I am from Kansas. Um, there's also this uh, lament that Claire has about what would it be like if, like, you know, you were able to, as your older self, go back to who you were several years ago and be able to talk to yourself, like wonder what that younger person would think of you as an older person, which I know that has been played out in uh, several movies. But I think the first time I experienced it was there was a, a girl that um, uh, was in my second grade class. And I think we were, I think we were friends as much as you can be friends in second grade with this girl. Like we played on the playground together. And then I moved schools after that second grade year and I don't really know what happened to her, except that we bumped into each other again in seventh grade. And we ended up in the same couple of classes in seventh grade. And I realized um, she's the same girl from second grade. And we're like, oh, hey, we haven't seen each other in forever. And find out that in the interim, she had a kid. Now, I have an eighth grade daughter. Uh, she's 13. This is seventh grade, so you do the math, and she already had a kid, and that was weird to me uh, in seventh grade for that to have happened. And she wasn't like, you know, even then she wasn't hanging around with some of the best uh, people. And I, I wondered, I think at some point I tripped across 
uh, this, the class picture from second grade and I saw her face in there and I thought, man, she's, you know, so young and smiling and all the, all the innocent things that are true of a second grader. And then one like, you know, in five years, you're going to be a mom. And that was just kind of weird to me. And I've thought that multiple times about the person I've become. If I were to go back to the person I was and we had a conversation, how exactly would that go? Um, and I'm, I know that there would be, uh, many, many regrets in there. Uh, but I decided to give those, those regrets to Claire. So there you go. Um, and I think by now we can all hopefully spot at least some lies that uh, Claire is telling. Uh, one of which is that she says this very flattering lie. There are only two people that I'm scared of. And, you know, Evan's one of them. When very clearly she is more scared of this, uh, this guy that she keeps, you know, like the, the signal for him at this point is to place a hand over one eye. Like there's something going on with that that we'll find out here in a few chapters. But, um, she's obviously much more scared of this guy than Evan. Um, but then I wanted to let you in on a little Emporia history. So there's this guy that she references in Colorado named Plum that uh, was the starter of this town where they were in and whatever. He's a real guy, but not in Colorado. Uh, I don't know how towns get started, but Preston B. Plum started one. It was called Emporia, Kansas my hometown. And uh, so this is uh, sort of a reference uh, to, again, Emporia and all of that. In fact, if you go to Emporia, there's a university, a state university there, shockingly titled Emporia State University. And the main administration building is called Plum Hall, named after Preston B. Plum, who helped incorporate Emporia back in 18-something or other. And my understanding was it was an experimental town that he had a desire or the group that started it or something had some kind of vision for, I don't know if it was like a utopian kind of community, because that brings up all kinds of images of communes and weirdness. But I think there was sort of an idealized American town on the frontier that could be uh, developed. This was after World War, uh, sorry, Civil War was done. So um, this was... You know, it wasn't like the old west kind of town. This was a very uh, posh kind of high end town with all the cool new things in 1880 or 1870, something like that. Um, but um, it's just, uh, I think the town is even named after, and I don't remember if that town is named the way ours was, but Emporia, Kansas was named after, I think, some town in Africa that was a big deal back uh, when the Greek Empire was doing what it was doing. So it was this odd little uh, idealized thing. And um, I don't know what kind of clout it takes to start a town, but I decided that he was slightly shady. As far as I know, Preston B. Plum was a high, um, like, uh, upstanding citizen. We'll, we'll say he was, but the guy, the plum in Colorado, he was shady and up to no good with, you know, hiding pearls and things. But anyway, that's, um, that's a little bit more on, uh, the Emporia history. Um, but I also want to sort of land this with the comment, uh, that Evan has that truth likes to be found out. And I, I have found that to be true. Um, the, the God of the Bible is uh, a God of truth. 
And I think we live in a day when truth feels very subjective and that your truth can be valid and my truth can be valid and they <laughs> they're not the same things uh, sometimes. And what we see over time is that what is real and what is true that that's what lasts and that's what sees the light of day. Um, this 13 year old daughter of mine is currently taking a logic course and I can't remember what the term for this is, but there's some kind of logical argument thingamawapis where uh, something cannot both be true and false at the same time. So, um, you know, where my truth and your truth may differ, truth will arrive at some, we might both be wrong. That's, that's a possibility, but we, we can't both be right and wrong at the same time. So I think um, you will see this play out in your life. I know I've seen it play out in mine where the things I've tried to hide from others gets found out um, one way or another. And uh, lies just have a pesky way of showing themselves to be lies. And then we have to confess and um, get things right and ask for forgiveness and all those things. But I guess the, the takeaway from that is if you need to clear stuff up with others, clear it up now before the light gets found out because it goes better that way. Uh, I, will, I will leave it there. Uh, next uh, chapter, we will uh, continue on. And this this will prove to be, I think, a very, very interesting chapter as uh, a subplot gets its due in uh, chapter 25. So I hope you come back for that one. Uh, in between now and then, swing over to brianthomascrop.com. If you haven't recently, uh, check out all the books that are available there. All of them are purchasable at amazon.com. And um, if you haven't uh, bought all of them, please do. Uh, or give them as gifts to others. Or just let other people know that they're there. That would also be helpful. Um, all of this story is available for free at brianthomascrop.com. So if you want to read along or read ahead, you can do that there. Let's see. What are all the other things? Oh, they're all in the, the liner notes for this episode. So you can check those things out there. I hope you have a great week. And until we meet again, I hope you have a good one.